Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. The Favorite. Directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. 2018. A vicious rivalry develops when fallen 18th century English noblewoman Abigail squirms into the good graces of Queen Anne, despite warnings she's received from her lifetime favorite companion, Sarah Churchill, first Duchess of Marlborough. Cassidy, are you here? Hello. <laughs> yep, I'm here. Stacy? Present. <laughs> I bent my shoulder to my chin, for those of you who can't see, which is everyone except for Cassidy and Rochelle. It was pretty coy. <laughs> so. 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 Yays and nays. Let's start with some yays. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Yes, please, Stacy. Do you want to go first? <laughs> my yay is the dance scene. Oh. oh. My yay is it's a film with three female leads. Yay. It's a good yay. And my yay is that this film is based on a 20-year-old screenplay written by a woman with a vision. I didn't know that. Isn't that amazing? That's so cool. You didn't know that? No. What about stuff we didn't love? What about some nays? <clears throat> uh, my nay is the length of the film. It was long. Like, my only nay right now off the top of my head is I loved how the text was formatted throughout the film, but I couldn't read the credits. And I usually sit through the credits, and I didn't because I was like, I can't read these. Bye. That is an interesting nay. Mm. I like that. You liked it? Thanks. No, yeah, I just loved your nay. Thank you. I was like, this is a terrible nay. One hell of a nay over there. Original. Someone gets best nay award. Maya. I smell it. Rochelle just had the longest inhale for her nay. Whoa. Does she have to pick through a bunch of nays? My nay can easily be construed as a yay, but it's something that I have to hold in both hands. The idea that a woman's power is also completely interwoven with her sexuality was something that stood out to me in the film. And though I appreciated the power very much, I, I appreciated how, how it was delivered. We can get into that as we move forward. I, I, I was somewhat put off um, in holding the idea that that true power is wielded at the helm of sexuality. Oh, I have like such a weird tangent. Go for it. I want to say. I just rewatched Nymphomaniac by Ooh, Lars von Trier. Mm -hmm. and it's about a woman like holding that power and how it like destroys her, mm -hmm. her sexuality, which makes me feel like we do as women just mm -hmm. have inherent power because we have vaginas that people want to be inside. So are you saying, Rochelle, it was stereotypical in that the way women... Um, are often portrayed like in a femme fatale sort of way. Like, um, or I guess I want, I'm needling your nay. That's do fine. You think, do you think it was stereotypical? Because this was also something that I was mulling over. And I think that that's, a, that's probably the right question to ask to help me hone in on what really doesn't quite sit right or it's not that it doesn't sit right it's that it was a little bit of a flare for me mm -hmm. sort of like ooh, this is worth thinking about ooh, this is worth challenging um not even because i think of it as a mistake or that i think of it as stereotypically handled uh i think i'd feel a lot more resolute if it had been uh i guess my answer is 
no, I don't necessarily feel like it was stereotypically handled or a stereotypical portrayal uh, unless the stereotype was stuffed deep into the pit of an olive that is beautiful lesbianism. I mean, and there is a lot of speculation about Queen Anne and she had like a duchess or something when she was 16 that they sent away because they were worried about that and the only hard evidence that they have of her and uh, Sarah's relationship are letters. And a lot of them, I guess, and this was just one article, I think it was a Guardian article, um, talked about how a lot of like lesbian undertones were buried in language like back mm -hmm. in this time. Mm -hmm. And so they're like rich with like hidden lesbian language, apparently. Well, so. romantic relationships between women were almost encouraged, though not necessarily erotic relationships. And at this time, it was like talk, the article I was reading was talking about in the 1700s, like at this point was kind of when lesbianism was like emerging a little bit more, like out of the nooks and crannies a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the way that you could find it was through the way or the way that you could discover it was through the language that women would speak about one another. Mm -hmm. Which I find fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. The sexuality part didn't bother me at all in this film, which I feel like I'm usually really sensitive about. I see. And I, I loved it. I loved it. I enjoyed it very much. I, I appreciated how the camera drank it in. I loved the choices made. I, I was very thankful when Emma Stone stood her ground and said that the real slap in the face for uh, Rachel Weitz's character, Sarah, would be if Abigail was topless, if her breast was exposed in that scene. I, I really appreciated um, these actors and how they took risks and – you know, I I read something that said it was the second best cunnilingus sing, scene of the year. Hmm. Second yeah. best cunnilingus Next sing of the, the year. Next to the Queen of Scots. Yeah. I haven't seen mm. it. Which I haven't seen I haven't either seen yet. Either. I didn't know there was... I know. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but Spoiler. yeah. Different movie. Different and, movie. I, and it's so interesting because I hadn't really thought about it in that capacity, but that's exactly what it would have been. It just, there were so many layers. And I think that that's what sparked my curiosity about power, the interchange of power and sexuality. Um, for women, mm -hmm. uh, especially for a film like this that's really, really illustrating the power women could have or could wield, um, mm -hmm. even if it was still in and of itself limited. Yeah, I thought of Suspiria actually quite a bit in watching this film. Same. Um, the connection between the toxicity uh, of power on that level. Um, because when I interchange Queen Anne for a man, nothing needs to change. In fact, all of those characters could be men. Interesting. And nothing would need to change. A king would be upset about not having heirs. Right. You know, like I... And his own way of demonstrating that pervasive grief. Mm -hmm. He maybe exactly. wouldn't have babies, little bunnies. Maybe not. Little or ones. maybe he would have something else. Maybe he would have 17 dogs. Right. You know. Hounds. I, he would have hounds. Blood hounds. 17 hounds. Best um, for hunting. <laughs> Yeah, I thought of Suspiria a lot and just the themes of female power and just power in general and what it can do when it's unchecked or when people are unhealthy. Yeah, I read another article. It could have very well been the same article I've already referenced um, talking about Abigail, the person, and just people of that class level and how they would have had to fight to get to the top or she would have died essentially. So 
Well, and she had been at the top mm -hmm. or, or somewhere near it, closer than a scullery maid. Mm -hmm. The unfolding of all of the characters was, aside, well, Sarah and Abigail were fascinating to me. Oh, Abigail yeah. Abigail kind of caught me off guard, the way she <laughs> developed as the story went As on. Emma Stone always does, she yeah. just really plays on your emotions. I feel like I trust her too much. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. She's so sweet and gives you what you want. When really she's a little shit. No, she's she, she's I lovely. Like want to be her I love her. Emma, no, are you listening. I know Emma Text Stone. Me. I did feel a shift uh, when she is trying to lure in Masham. I got this feeling that there was more to her, and that there were there were more layers that needed to be we need to be wary of when they were fighting or like love playing in the woods, and then how violent they got. It was. Awesome. I almost whooped in the theater because I just appreciated I just appreciated how carnal that was, even though I don't think it was it wasn't a, a sexual carnality. It was a power carnality. And there was a there's a power struggle happening there, but she wasn't fighting with him. She was she was trying to lure him in for the ultimate fight, right? Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. It was oh man, like I said, layers. Yeah. Layers of absurdity, I feel mm -hmm. like, is what this film was, which I loved. It almost felt like a different type of comedy than I've seen before. Mm -hmm. Definitely than from Lanthimos. Oh, yeah. This this is definitely far and away my favorite of what he's done so far. And I don't know if that's because of the characters, the rich characters. It probably is. Um, but just the way he treated period piece, um, a little bit of first night was in there. Uh, with that dancing scene, or I felt that sort of um, mashing of modern references mm -hmm. to this this very uh, familiar this very familiar aesthetic period piece aesthetic. Um, so I felt his style really worked well here. In his other films, there it's tougher for me. The style is just so obvious in this film because of the Victorian era I think mm -hmm. is it for me it felt that was almost my nay or sorry excuse me that was almost my yay was that it was like watching a painting mm. like the whole thing it's like watching a painting because everything's so rich mm -hmm. but then it's ridiculous it made me think of Monty Python like yeah, it's absurd Neil and I both were like separately we're like yeah we thought of Monty Python at some moments because it's just such a farce um that's what I said to Justin today I was like it's like a farce yeah it is but he really was able to bring that comedy tragedy, keeping them close together um, the whole time. Though at the end, something happened to me at the end. And I don't know why I felt uh, it was too long, but it definitely changed towards the end. Like that farce, that humor left a little bit. And then we were just dealing with the climax of the narrative. So I don't know why I had an I issue like with it. Even how it ended was like... Oh, I loved the ending. Well, I loved the ending, but just the last. Moving into the third. The third act. Yeah. yeah, there was something there that felt long. I don't know why. It didn't feel long to me at all, which Suspiria did. Oh, of really? Because acts there were, yeah. And this is the same by thing. It counted. Six, yeah. I loved that. Oh, my it God. Counted. The names. Oh, my gosh. Me at all. This mud stinks. That was yeah, my favorite I one. I do fear confusion and accidents. What an outfit. Yeah, what if I fall asleep it. and slip under? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I dreamt I stabbed you in the eye. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Man, I love Sarah's relationship with the queen too. Mm -hmm. 
because she actually, I think she actually loved her. You think Sarah loved the queen? I, or like her country. Yeah, I do. Oh, I sorry. I was thinking of Abigail. I think Sarah loved her like, country. Yes, yeah. definitely. But I think she loved the queen too, in a way. Yeah. Because and I wondered, yeah, the queen door. is the country, right? Too, right? You know, True. But I mean, even just, I guess for me, what makes me feel like she genuinely loved her as a person mm -hmm. is the conversation they had after she had had her key taken from her. Mm. Yeah, um, through the and, door. Yeah, and she talked about, obviously, I love you because I'm honest with you. Yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah, I can't really argue with that. Like, yeah, you do. You love her. Totally. You look like a badger. Badger-based <laughs> queen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, there's so many fun lines. fact, not fun. Oh. Queen Anne, apparently, they think, had lupus. Mm -hmm. Oh. It was lupus. Yeah, I'd read that she had had some sort of autoimmune disease, but I wasn't sure what it was. Speculated lupus. Man, I too felt remnants of other period films, probably just based on them being period films, but also because like with Marie Antoinette, Sofia Coppola's film, I, I wanted there to be even more ridiculousness in it, you know, when they're, they're lavishing in the gowns and, and how it has a, like a tinge of eighties to it. And it's just, it, I loved the modernity of, Coppola's take but it didn't go nearly as far as this film and I think that that was something I didn't realize I was that I was hungry for that I really wanted mm -hmm. um same with love and friendship which I thought was a riot I loved it so much with Kate Beckinsale mm -hmm. uh I really appreciated that film I thought it was a hoot I didn't realize I could laugh so hard at what I felt like I knew so well um mm -hmm. And so playing off of those enjoyments and many, many others, I, I think that the fact that this to me wasn't a historical period film, but more of like a fictionalized period film, and I'd prepared myself in that way. I had not prepared myself for the powdered wigs and the Bufanti <gasps> men and all the makeup and, and the style. Oh, my word, Sandy Powell blew me away. Now, I love Cinderella. Don't get me wrong. She rocked it, but this was another level. And sh they had no money, no money at all for these costumes. And they made them in five weeks. That is insane. 150 uh, people, costumes, whatnot, five weeks. Whoa. And the entire film what? was made for 15 million. So that tells you how much the budget was for costuming. Nothing. I wonder why it, the budget was so low. Because the film was... Not an expensive five fifteen million is it's a very that's a very small amount of money comparatively. Right. But so I I don't know I I think that maybe there was a a bit of that there was an extra layer of creativity everyone had to reach a little bit deeper. Well, and mm -hmm. I guess the actors they all like went home and started researching the period, and then within a couple of days on set realized they didn't need to do that because your ghost didn't really care about keeping mm. it tried and true to the period. Mm -hmm. He was more concerned about like how the characters interact with one another mm -hmm. and like those relationships. And so, yeah, a few of the actors said that like went home, started to study, realized it was pointless and they played a lot of games and would rehearse the film like a play a lot, oh but they play absurd games. I was reading about um, Emma Stone's <laughs> audition and he made her breathe like she was giving birth. <laughs> during it it was talking about how this was her most physically demanding role ever because she's getting like shoved and hit mm -hmm. by books and slapped and like <laughs> thrown abused. in a, a muddy yeah. trench 
Um, so we like made her pretend that she was in labor. And then one of the men, I, and I can't remember who, it was probably Nicholas Holtz, um, was saying it was something like he was, Yorgos had him imagine that there was like a force field in the corner and that he could like reshape it with his mind <laughs> while the people were doing it, like reading lines with him. It was oh like his direction. Gosh. So there were mainly like, and then I guess later too, he was like, what was the point of that? And Yorgos was like, I don't know, and laughed. Oh my gosh, he's so absurd. And it worked for this though. Absurd is the word. Well, and I, you know, I think that that has been evident in Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Lobster. I haven't seen Dogtooth, but in his previous films, absurd is definitely a word that emerges. Man, it's absurd, but like so boring. I don't know the pacing of those other two films. Well, and that's what I'm wondering because, so yes, this this film was originally written by Deborah Davis like 20 years ago. Um as she researched about Queen Anne and her relationships and um, started digging into diaries and letters and things like that and emerged, these relationships emerged that really fascinated her. Uh, well, in 2009, Yorgos was connected to the, the screenplay and brought on uh, Tony McNamara. And altogether, they really started to call it. I guess they kept all of the the history and the meat, but then they went back and redid the dialogue and tightened it all up. And I read in one article that for them, the biggest difference was that this film opens up messy human emotion. Whereas in his past films, you know, you're struck with that affectless monotone and you still have these engaging relationships, which is what my partner digs in so much to. It's just like this hopelessness, this air of, of connecting, but it's not a connecting I personally understand where that comes out in spades in the favorite but you're also being slapped in the face with with the absurdity of of the messiness of of the tantrum <laughs> of of the shooting each other and and duck races and etc right mm -hmm. so it's like kind of taking the top off of lanthimos mm -hmm. and letting his him peek his head out and be like oh there are people here mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. i don't know i think that might be what what we're seeing, or at least that's what I'm seeing. And that's why it's, mm -hmm. for me, so different. Or female-focused yeah. cast. Like Colin Farrell was the common denominator for those last two films. And Colin Farrell is fine. But I, there's, the way he is in those films is so wooden and so surface, you know, mm -hmm. and these characters more. could not be more different. It made me feel like I could, I like could imagine living in that palace <laughs> mm -hmm. like that's how it felt like real life mm -hmm. i don't know i guess underneath all of the absurdity well it was still spot Abigail, on like climbing up the ladder mm -hmm. well just the way I they could... bathed like like when she hands the soap on the rope it's little details like that that really sell the period piece so for me i, I just felt the period piece was so strong not even the period piece, but like for me, like being stuck where you are or like I, we've all oh, worked like mm -hmm. shit jobs before where you're just like, I have to do this and this is my reality right now. Like yeah. I could like feel that vibe mm. in this film for mm -hmm. some reason. I could like imagine being in that path, you know, it just like seemed very realistic to me. Like mm -hmm. this could happen. Mm -hmm. I could feel the very grime possible. of it. Yeah, I could feel the grime of of what Abigail was trying to navigate, but also the grime of the period, mm -hmm. like as beautiful as everything was, 
I also just kept wondering how stinky the dresses were. I don't know why. Mm, I feel mm -hmm. like there was something in the coloring, um, in the cinematography. It looked both lush and confined and then like it would go on for miles, not just because of the fisheye, which I am not sure was utilized as effectively as I believe it could have been. Uh, it became distracting at a certain point. But I liked the idea of using it to either see the castle through, whether it's the the guard's eyes, the queen's eyes, or the bunny's eyes, as my partner so beautifully <laughs> pointed out. I'm like, what a great idea. Or if it was just to show it goes on and on much further, these this bedchamber, what's happening here, will stretch out into the kingdom. Mm. You know, like different perspectives in that. And I really could feel how large it was, how small it was, and it just seemed kind of stinky. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. And then the cunnilingus, like, ee. Oh. Oh, you mean because of the hygiene? The yeah, yeah, I thought about that numerous times. Mm -hmm. like, hygiene always, now I'm constantly conscious of it, thinking to myself, man, <laughs> when do you have a bath? Not very How often. Bad does your underhair smell? Bad. <laughs> really bad. Super bad. Unshaven. But everyone does, so I wonder if you just are used to I it. I mean, yeah. Different standard of living. It's just how people smelled. You know what I mean? Maybe That's it was just normal. Well, Maybe and, like, it was sexy. Stuff, you know? Sure, people flowers, like, perfumes. Yeah. I watched Naked and Afraid, and one of the guys like rubbed a plant under his arms that smelled like garlic. Oh, he gosh. was like, my BO is so bad <laughs> that never in my life would I ever think that the scent of garlic would be something I would rather <laughs> wear on my body. Wow. Oh, funny. <laughs> to like cut the BO. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. But pertinent. <laughs> well, yes, because maybe... <laughs> That's maybe just a little garlands of maybe that garlic, garlic hanging down That's there. That's when ladies were like, oh, it also cures yeast infections. <laughs> just shove a clove right up there. It was an accidental <laughs> finding. <laughs> I still don't believe that, by the way. Don't shove don't garlic do up your it. vagina after this podcast. Or do. <clears throat> but we don't recommend it. Uh, going back to the uh, the men... The dandy, sweet, powdery, oh rougey men. Men that slap a lady around. Oh my gosh. Doors. They were also, they were close to being a yay for me, the ornamental. They were hoot men um, because I really appreciated that that reversal. Yes. And the camera there. angles every time they were shown, like low shots. I know. They were beautiful. I felt like they were peacocks just strutting around yeah. the palace ground Green. and they were, Nicholas Holt was huge. He yeah. was Gorgeous. So tall. Had high so heels. Tall. Biggest wig his of the mole, land. His drawn on mole was <laughs> it just so, moved all over his it face. It moved all the so time. Awesome. I loved it. Um, and the women were so down. They were so downplayed, like in their makeup. Yes. Like they looked so different. They looked like it, it animals look in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, where you see fan oh, ducks. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. The men are gorgeous and they're strutting around to get That's the ladies. Awesome. And the ladies are like, yeah. I'm the shit. Come get me. I know. I want to know like, <laughs> when did the switch happen? Yeah, in society, because it was obviously a high society switch. I don't know when it happened. I, I am interested in that as well because, <laughs> you know, obviously we've got major requirements of women, and there are still requirements of men, but <laughs> not lipstick rougey. <laughs> well, and he's traveling mall requirements. Harley said to. Uh, oh, I know what you're gonna say. So when Harley says to Masham, he says something like, you have to look pretty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or some reference to looking mm -hmm. pretty as a man. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's when Masham's trying, he thinks that he's trying to 
wrangling, seduce. yeah, mm-hmm. seduce Abigail when actually she's pulling all the strings here and mm-hmm. he goes in looking nuts. I'm sorry, that was a different level. Oh my gosh. Oh, that and they so have funny. that exchange and then he comes out and he's like, this wig is ridiculous. And it oh was just gosh. one of my favorite moments because she just like took it off and wanted to look at him, him being Taylor Swift's boyfriend. And <gasps> oh. he was fancy. Isn't he fancy? Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, I liked him too. So she just wanted to get a big old look at Taylor Swift's boyfriend. And T Swift is dating all the hottest British actors. <laughs> that guy too. Yeah. She's got a little tally like next. And it it made a lot of sense. It's like she but she was also wearing a wig that he then can see when they're at that party and she's the one who's all dolled up and her mm-hmm. her money looks gross yeah, and that cheap. was the light mm-hmm. switch for me that's when it like changed abigail went from like good to bad she mm-hmm. was tripping on her power yeah oh yeah yeah in a gross way and that's mm-hmm. where rachel weiss's character was so different sarah i suddenly was like oh my god you're the good one this whole time like this mm-hmm. whole time i was wary of you and i shouldn't have been you just want what's best for your country well, but at the same time, she's on one side of the political party spectrum mm-hmm. and Abigail's on the other. So there's that piece as well. But um, Abigail's on the self-serving spectrum. She doesn't give a shit what happens in England. She was just doing it to like get ahead. That's mm-hmm. what I thought too. And then I did some research and apparently she was a Tory. I don't really mm. know what that means. In real life she was? Yeah. Mm. Oh, like the, Wait. Wait a minute. Abigail's based on a real person? Mm-hmm. And so is Sarah. This yeah. is all based off of real people. History. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Queen, these were Queen these Anne's chambermaids. Okay. She grew up with uh, Sarah. They were mm-hmm. childhood friends back when the Queen was a princess. And I guess the Queen had always she had was. attitude and emotional struggles. Mm-hmm. And so she was sort of hard to be around. But Sarah indentured herself to her. And they developed this very, very, very close friendship of which Princess Anne wrote Sarah hundreds. So many of these perfumey letters of adoration and love. Potentially hidden lesbianisms in there. Who knows? I don't know language that well. (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to whether they had an actual physical relationship just because in the film, George, I believe is his name, was left out. That's Queen Anne's husband. Mm-hmm. And they were married all the way up until what's going on in this film. Mm-hmm. He was still alive and they always shared a room. So whether it was ever physical doesn't necessarily keep away feelings, but that's all real. Mm-hmm. And there was another chambermaid after Abigail Hill or Masham, as she became, um, who was the last individual that the queen fixated on. Mm, interesting and it started too with like her chambermaid's the wrong word but it was like her nanny essentially until she was 16 and then they sent her away they sent the lady away when Mm. she was 16 because they were like "Mm -mm." she was a little fixated and when the Mm. when when the queen was made queen she brought sarah with her that's when she became a lady and her husband became a lord Rachel Weiss actually was my favorite, I think, in this film. My favorite. She's always my favorite. Ever since The Mummy. Oh, man. She has been my girl. I love those films. I I love The Mummy. I don't even feel bad about it. I own them. No, yeah, I don't feel bad about it. Also, I love Brendan Fraser. I just watched them for the first time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold the book. 
two months ago. They think they, they've been on Are HBO you recently. Yeah, so oh. Justin and I, up until the time. Oh, book. wow. I'm so like, curious I'm to know, like, them. it was fun. How did you like I it? I loved it. <gasps> I like them more than so Indiana Jones, which oh, I, do. I grew up on. Oh, they're like equal for me. Yeah, I like them more, oh which gosh. I was surprised I wasn't expecting to. Isn't she so wonderful? She's in so it? beautiful and sultry and great and amazing <sighs> and just like sophisticated, just like everything mm. that like little All the girls things. grow up yeah. wanting mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. I loved Rachel it. Nice. And I just love how she snuck up on me in the favorite. Mm. She kind of snuck up on me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you two felt that way about her at all, but. Oh, yeah. She always ends up uh, being a standout for me. Like She was my favorite part of the lobster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Stone gets me with all that trust that I've sillyly put in blue eyes, put in her, eyes, <laughs> invested way in. too much trust in that that lady. Uh, but for me, uh, Olivia Coleman is who snuck up for me, and I think it was how she turned each scene. It's like she had a completely separate set of beats just for the unveiling of the queen, and it just was such masterly performance. I. I don't think I liked her character as much because, well, she was just the worst up until a certain point, and then she got a little more palatable. She's so pathetic. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm not I a huge fan it. of people, like, threatening suicide. I'm just sort of like, shh. But, like, it's because she had everything. Like, that's right. the only other thing she could have done is be like, well, I'm going to kill myself. No one will give me attention. You'll give me attention now. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it drove me nuts. But at the same time, the way that she then – opens up herself to Abigail to teach us about these miscarriages and these children that she's lost. 17. Like that's that number I can't even I can't even hold that number. That's but a then true you're number. you're forced mm-hmm. to because there are bunnies running around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she like walks her bunnies and like always wants to play with them, I just I felt that very human part of her and and then how she eventually turns the tables and and starts to gain uh, agency. So she starts to gain a little self-perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very hard to watch because it's very hurtful because of the betrayal of it all. Uh, because I do think that Sarah loved her country and that the queen was wrapped up in that. And I think that there is definitely a possibility that Sarah too believed that she loved the queen. But I don't know if she could have separated her love for the queen and her love for what her relationship with the queen provided her. Um, Mm -hmm. And the queen just didn't, I don't know, maybe it was the exact same for her. Maybe she didn't really love Sarah. Maybe she just loved the attention. I think it was the attention. Um, And I think you see her getting a little more clear headed after Sarah leaves, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where she gets her own agency too. Yeah. Cause she doesn't have anyone to like, yeah puppet her around yeah because okay sarah was so truthful but she was so manipulative and she yes. manipulated her Not with the truth yes. just like straight up controlling oh yeah like, it's just she, abuse i don't even feel like she was manipulating her she was like do this do this or, uh, do yeah this. i i guess i mean that she was manipulative in that she was like i'm being honest with you you know i think she was um using that against the queen and con- confusing the queen into uh doing whatever she said really it was essentially sarah who was running the country well and she would keep people from having access to the queen and for the most part i think that the queen wanted that but at a certain point when she didn't agree anymore and she didn't want to tax the country in the way that sarah was pushing things started to unravel 
and it's such a funny another funny look at absurdity like thinking back over human history what war tactics were made or developed because somebody was having a temper tantrum <laughs> totally and, like, pissed off That's at their husband terrifying and I yeah it's true absolutely <laughs> Totally. Well, yeah. It, Sarah loses her footing supposedly in in the kingdom, whatnot, in the country, and so that's supposed to be the end of her. But then, she, like her descendants are Winston Churchill and Princess oh, Diana. They are. Seriously, yeah, I, wait, saw, really? I saw on Google like <laughs> was Sarah related to Winston Churchill, and I didn't read it. <laughs> like, it was in almost all of the articles what? talking about how they say her power was supposedly stripped from her, but then she went on to have descendants that were so influential and so powerful. And so then it, it really it throws up another mirror for what power should be defined as. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the realms that it operates in and, and short-term and long-term effects. Hmm. And yeah, even in the film – not knowing the history necessarily of it, I never felt like Sarah lost her power because even when they were getting banished from the kingdom, mm. she was like, you know what? I'm ready to move. <laughs> I think we should get out of England. I'm making this call. Are the horses that I decided before you knocked? We're moving. It's I like someone's now. like, Bye. I'm breaking up with you. I broke up with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, I need, you need to leave. I'm already leaving. I'm gone. <laughs> I decided that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never for a second was I like oh she's been stripped of power I was like no she's yeah she she's cannot dead. be because she believes she's powerful so she cannot be I and really all of those characters did believe that and even though the queen didn't have such a dramatic arc with what happened to her with Sarah and Abigail they had this right. extreme um, reversal mm-hmm. of their situation the queen the queen maintained her power, power, even though she That's was we ill. About. She was queen. Yeah, she oh, she was gosh. she was stable. Really, it was the most stable narrative in the whole thing, which is hilarious. You know, because she was nuts. Yeah, I loved the queen so much. I can't handle how much <laughs> she I loved made me her. Laugh the hardest, <gasps> hands down. When hands she down. look at me. Like, take that, male gaze. Ugh. Oh, that's awesome. I loved it. Oh. I loved it. And when she fainted in court. Oh, my god. When gosh. she was just like, I don't know what to say. Oh, I guess the real oh. Queen Anne, when she didn't know how to respond, because apparently she was not very well educated just because that was not mm-hmm. done. Women were educated very, very well. Mm-hmm. She would just move her lips like she was talking and not say anything. Oh, my gosh. How perfectly did Olivia Coleman portray that type of nuance in this characterization? Oh, my, gosh. my word. Yeah, Just she like, was, oh, incre- no, no. was <laughs> incredible. She my mind. In the comic relief of the entire film. But she also took us to the deepest levels yeah. of emotion. Yeah, totally. Like, she was the true embodiment of tragedy comedy. Mm-hmm. The scene where she's vomiting. Eating the cake. Oh, and then and I'm then like, vomiting. they're not going to cut. She's going to put cake in her mouth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then someone's going to cunnilingus her in, like, five seconds. Oh, my gosh. Back to bodily smells. <laughs> oh, Well, my and gosh. they, I, I guess, back when the rift occurred, Sarah held on to it and she would write about it and she would um, write letters and tried to spread rumors about the queen. Mm. And in her, maybe it was in her biography or maybe it was just after the fact she was talking about after uh, Queen Anne's husband died, she said something to the effect of, but she still ate three hearty meals the next day. I guess 14 men had to carry Queen Anne's coffin 
or was it 14 men had to build it? There were quite a few men in powdery wigs, oh lipstick gosh. involved with this. I don't know. She They really played up the idea that she was an obese person, mm -hmm. which is funny because Olivia Coleman is not. But she did gain, they said, two and a half stones. I don't know how heavy that is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to start measuring my weight in stones. <laughs> Just randomly. I've gained a pebble. <laughs> oh, my God. A oh, Christmas again. A boulder. Yeah, she was absolutely the best thing about this film. They just they drove it home and I think that Olivia Coleman was able to capture some historical potential historical truths um that were reflected in the relationships that carried on in the real life of Queen Anne and uh whether or not we really know how they speak or we really know what went on or or whatnot. I I think that her character was what rooted us or rooted me mm -hmm. in, in the historical elements uh, of this piece. And I liked that. I liked having that that te that tether and anchor. It's funny that you would say that, Stacey, that she was the most stable part of the film. And I think that you are so right. Mm -hmm. I think you are. And I had just not I had not thought of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I think that Yorgos was intentional too with elements that we can't know, like how they spoke to each other, which is why he diverted and they said things like cunt. I don't know if we can say that. Do you want me to repeat that? No, you can totally say that. We've said fuck 1,000 times. Okay. It was probably me, like 999. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they said cunt a lot, but a lot of the language felt very modern because we can't know. It doesn't, we don't have um, transcriptions of conversations from this time. And so I appreciated the liberties there because it's him addressing that, you know, even with the filming, like the fish islands. I read um, in an article I read from the New York Review, uh, they talk about, and I don't know if this was their interpretation or if they had interviewed Yorgos, but their their take on the fish islands um, was Yorgos uh, using those as, as devices to bring in this sort of modern lens to this period world because we cannot know really this world. So mm -hmm. it was all part of his modern treatment along with the dialogue and and the coaching, it sounds like, of the actors to not do it, their research. I don't know if he was distinctly like, don't go and research the period. I just know coming from the actors, they were like, I did for a day and then it's... It, I didn't it was pointless yeah. because that's... There's only so much you can know about this era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think he did an excellent job directing this film. I loved the partnership with women again. Uh, I, too, felt remnants of Suspiria, and I we hoped at the end of that podcast, we were like, I hope that more men will partner with women in this way and help them help themselves, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> this was a tremendous feminist take you know, which, uh, feminist handling mm -hmm. of the, of the story. He did it so well and so intentional. I felt it was so intentional. Yeah. Now we have Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth II to look forward to as she will be on the crown seasons three and four. Oh, I just got a bachelor. Are you <laughs> serious? I'm serious. Wow. 
So we can All look right, forward to next that. Watch for me, The Crown. The I've Crown. Been saving it. I know. I'm such a sucker for not, royalty. I'm like really against it. For some, or not against it. I'm just like. Ugh. Well, I mean, it is the most privileged bullshit. Like, and and uh, that's something actually Neil and I talked about in viewing this film, is that Yorgos. I think, anyway, he was aware of just how ridiculous court is. Oh, my God. It's, it is ridiculous. It is the most white. It's the essence of white privilege. Yes. When Rachel Weiss comes back and Emma Stone's like, the maid is going to bring me up something called a pineapple. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I forgot about that line. That line was so good. And, yes, like, it is ridiculous. And I don't know why. I love watching. I'll watch farces of it. I'll watch realistic. It doesn't matter. Because I don't gobble love it up. Lavish stuff. I mean, like the Kardashians. opulence. That's like today's royal court. I guess that that's is America's royalty. Yeah. It is, and you love the modern royals as well. Meghan Side Marco. note: Stacey loves the royals. I do love the royals. I do. You know, I think it's just everybody's a bit enamored with that level of lavish living because not very many of us could ever attain it or like know mm -hmm. what that would be like, you know? So it's just yeah. so fantastical. The lure of decadence. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think I liked this film more than I liked Marie Antoinette, which is like a big thing for me to say, because I love Marie Antoinette, like clueless. Like it's like one of those like staples. Of yeah. My youth. <laughs> this went further. It was, and I appreciated it so much and it was deeper. Mm -hmm. and different I guess you get something so so different out of watching this than you do out of Marie Antoinette but yeah I, like the way they dealt with the lavishness and the depth of it and Queen Anne just being like a psycho yeah it reminded me of like the pinnacle of fame today kind of mm -hmm. like stars weren't it's like this will destroy you right oh, yeah and if it doesn't destroy you by like you taking your own life or whatever mm -hmm. like literally doesn't take your life away like it will in other ways by having you waddle around the castle screaming out windows and like not knowing where you are in your own home. Right. Oh Freaking out when you hear children playing music outside to the point where you run over, steal a stranger's baby, and then collapse because you you don't know where you are in your own castle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just the perfect story of, yeah, like fame is the wrong word, but fame. Mm -hmm. And wanting fame. And how it's like a toxic ideal. Mm -hmm. Thanks, President Trump, for reminding us. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some takeaways for viewers or just personally? I mean, let's make more movies with female leads because the dynamics of power with women is different. It's such a different nuance than with men. It's like uncharted territory almost. More. I want more. Deborah, the writer, said that after she wrote this, she wasn't certain that a film with this amount of female leads had a place uh, in the industry. And then she watched The Hours. Mm. And she realized that it's just a, a new era of film. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but Deborah, once viewing it, when she had viewed it, she was just said, yeah, th this is just another another step in film. There is a place for female, an entire cast of female leads and we've been seeing that more so we should i hope we see more in the future i always feel uh different when i view films like this that are so female-centric in a way that is is interchangeable uh like i like i had said earlier if if this if they were all men 
nothing really would change. When I sat down after I'd watched it, I was like, oh, this is kind of a revisionist history in a way, but it's just more of a focus um, that I really love. And I guess I can feel that I'm deprived that because I have such a strong reaction when I see it. So that must mean that I don't really see that. Um, but on every level, this film just embraced women down to the fancy men. It was, it felt good. It felt nourishing to just see that just at face value to see these women on screen in that way that wasn't contrived or something that I had seen before. So I, I love that. It must mean there's a huge lack of that. Speaking of what we love and there being an extreme lack, my takeaway is a deep desire to learn and perform that dance. <gasps> Gravy, what's that? Oh, soul Train. <laughs> yes, I know. That was so oh, cool. I word. can't handle it. Can I, I be was the like, person that lunges? Be the man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. I... I was giddy oh, during that scene. Oh I, I was the like, they're thing. doing it. They're doing it. And then it's they happening. did the soul train at the end. And I was like, I lost my I mind. Queen Anne's like, I'm tired. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. She's allergic to joy. Oh, she can't handle just it. Just jealous. She's so jealous. I Yeah, I really loved this film. So thank you for joining us for 2018. <laughs> There's much more to come in 2019, mm -hmm. including an entire review of this, this beautiful year we've had post Oscar night. So we have an idea of, of what's transpired at the awards. And we can talk about how much we appreciate the awards or how much we hate them. And <laughs> it's gonna be whoever the year. host is going to be. No one knows yet. No one knows. Maybe nobody. <laughs> We're going to host the Oscars. Surprise. It's Oscar talk. <laughs> this has been a Talking to Crows production. 